The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. Welcome to the Week 7 Ringer Gambling Show Friday Extravaganza with Joe House. We're going to be breaking down a lot of his favorite bets. But before we dive into the Week 7 card house, obviously we had a couple big things happen last night. Yes, Cliff Kingsbury did finally get a win at home. And beyond that, we've got the Christian McCaffrey news. So let's first start. Any thoughts, comments on the Cardinals last night with the return of DeAndre Hopkins? I want to know what it is that Kingsbury told Kyler Murray about Call of Duty that pissed Kyler off. I mean, Kyler was pissed. It must have been some. Uh, uh, Kingsbury must have sabotaged. His, I don't. I don't play Call of Duty, but I, we. It's, it's in my household. Something happened. Uh, Kyler was upset, but uh, Cardinals with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, they they write their own ship in that way. It looks comfortable. For Kyler, they scored a whole bunch of points. Uh, Cardinals will keep an eye out. They're underperforming um, thus far this season. I expect them to continue to underperform. We bet a bunch of unders on the Cardinals this year. Um, but having said all that, they look more like you know what we've grown accustomed to with Nuke on the field. There's just this element of comfort, of ease that Kyler has when he is working with DeAndre Hopkins that is absolutely setting himself at ease. He knows that he's got a guy who can beat man coverage at all times. Eventually, I saw the interview after the game where Hop was talking about the fact that they're probably going to start rolling coverages over to him and, 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 and that'll come in the future and that'll make life a little bit more difficult. But they were definitely spreading the ball around using a lot of different weapons. It looked like a great game plan. Obviously, you had the explosion between Kyler and Cliff that was hilarious and filmed on the sidelines where Kyler was seemed to be yelling, calm the fuck down or something to those sorts uh, to Cliff multiple times over and over. But yeah, it was a, it was a good game, much more interesting than the games that we've seen the prior two Thursdays. So I hope that that sets us up for a great weekend here. Really? It's got some scoring. I mean, you know, the, the Thursday night games have been such woeful unders, at least Al Michaels uh, got to call a few touchdowns uh, last night. And that's always, uh, a, a good thing. Speaking of a good thing, the Carolina Panthers have announced to the world that they are openly tanking this NFL season. It feels like an NBA thing. I mean, the NBA season just got rolling. Uh, I guess they're affirmatively jumping right into the CJ Stroud sweepstakes. That's the goal. Um, Christian McCaffrey is switching teams, Warren Sharp. Yes, he is. And I think it's a great thing for both of the parties. Now, I'm not talking about long-term ramifications. We'll talk about that in a second. For the immediate future, I love it for San Francisco because I'm on all their futures. You know, we 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 came out and faded uh, the Rams. We came out and bought on the 49ers um, during the season. We made the move. We made the decision to go ahead and bet some futures with the San Francisco 49ers. So I love the fact that, you know, 
Jimmy G is playing a quarterback right now for them, right? Like I thought that they could still figure out ways to win with Trey Lance, but Jimmy gives them that immediate upside last week's game against the Atlanta Falcons, notwithstanding given the injury situations that the 49ers were dealing with in their secondary and to their offensive line. Huge game this week. You're going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Sharp money has been coming in on the San Francisco 49ers here, dropping this line down to two, one and a half at some spots now. Some of that was related to Christian McCaffrey. This line was three previously. It dropped down to two and a half from the sharp money. A couple of twos popped. Now almost all the two and a halves are gone after the Christian McCaffrey news that they're getting him in the trade. How does it help on the field? Well, it helps a ton because Christian McCaffrey is a great running back. And an interesting stat that uh, Dan Pizzuta posted over at Sharp Football Analysis said that San Francisco running backs are gaining two yards before contact per rush. That's the fourth most in the NFL. That's basically a scheme and offensive line statistic, right? Like, are the off- is the offensive line opening up holes for these running backs to move down the field before the defense contacts them? That's a big offensive line stat, scheme stat. They're fourth best in the NFL, yet they only are recording positive EPA on 33% of their runs. That's dead last in the NFL. So although they're getting a good running start, no pun intended, they are dead last in running back efficiency, running back expected points added. I think if you just look at pure EPA, they're like 29th. If you look at success rate based on EPA, how often are you producing positive EPA? They're dead last in the league. So Christian McCaffrey is going to help from that respect. And I do believe that Kyle is going to incorporate him this weekend into the red zone and dial up some things like that. The downside here is, of course, what does this mean to the franchise long-term outlook. I do think that some of what I'm about to say should be taken with a grain of salt from the extent that they had extra picks to burn because a lot of their coaches got jobs elsewhere. And so they got extra picks for these guys. And so for that, you're like, okay, we got these free picks just because somebody else hired one of our coaches. Like, let's go ahead and get Christian McCaffrey with these picks. But the reality is over the last year and a half, From the draft in 2021 until present day, just to acquire running backs, the San Francisco 49ers spent four picks in the first three rounds. Four picks in the first three rounds that could have been used on anything they wanted to. These are picks that, yes, comp picks the NFL is giving to you. That doesn't mean you light them on fire. That doesn't mean that you go out and spend them willy-nilly. This is the way that you can rebuild your team and get them to the certain point that you want them to be at, they spent seven picks in the first five rounds on running backs. So they drafted three in the third round, sorry, two in the third round, one in the sixth round. By the way, they've already cut one of the guys they drafted in the third round in 2021. So that was a short-lived romance. Uh, And now they just traded a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth for Christian McCaffrey. Um, I thought it was extravagant. I think it shows a lack of positional value awareness. I'm not saying Christian McCaffrey is not a fucking stud when he's healthy, but he has played only 10 games out of his last 33 in 2020 and 2021. Now he's obviously healthy right now. Part of the reason why they made the move for him, but like it's not as if this guy has a history of being healthy. It's not as if this guy isn't going to a franchise who knows how to keep anybody healthy. Literally, over the last five years since Kyle Shanahan came to San Francisco, no team in the NFL has suffered more player injuries than the San Francisco 49ers. No team at all. They are the Mr. Glass to like the LA Rams Wolverine blood. Right. That like <laughs> the, the LA Rams heal themselves. They're the healthiest team in the NFL. Sean McVay is close buddies with Kyle Shanahan. These guys are just fucking Wolverine out here, the healthiest team in the NFL. And then you look right across the the, the bay, just down the coast, and there's the San Francisco 49ers, and they are the most injured team in the NFL for the fucking Mr. Glass of the league. And now that's where Christian McCaffrey is going to be playing. So I don't love it from that respect either, but uh, it's going to help the team on the field this year. Is it the best use of draft capital? to continue to spend a bunch of draft capital capital on running backs. I'm not so certain of that. In fact, the numbers clearly show that that is not a great use of draft capital. Well, I, I love that we have this opportunity with this Friday show 
to get your instant reaction to this thing. And it happens to line up wonderfully with, you know, the, the premier game of the week. Now I I'm not, I'm going to just very quickly dispense with all of the big picture stuff coming into week seven. A third of the season is now over. We've been talking about underdogs all season long. Underdogs continue to clock. There is a subset of underdogs, underdogs between three points and 10 points are, 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 Super clocking, it's like sixty three percent clip, um, and you know, look, you look at the the card that the New York Jets and the New York Giants are collecting scalps uh, all, all across the land with their uh, underdog status. This opportunity coming up, very rich with the Jets and well, the Jets and the, and the Broncos are now, I think, a pick. The Jets were underdogs all week. I think it's a pick now because of the lack of certainty yes. around Russell Wilson. Um, Giants underdogs going into Jacksonville. The Vegas is is begging you to do something about it. But let's just jump right in with this San Francisco Kansas City Chiefs matchup because it is the most uh, interesting um, and and two teams that really have Super Bowl ambition and, and aspiration. One of the things that I wonder about with um, McCaffrey's arrival. It's, it seems to be coinciding with a little bit of good news on the health front for San Francisco. Trent Williams practiced this week. So if you have Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey returning to the, to the field um, this week, that's a wrinkle that, um, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting. It looks like Nick Bosa could be playing. Jimmy Ward uh, practiced this week, the safety. So some positive developments on the injury front for San Francisco and, you know, just sort of bigger picture. There's all kinds of stats and trend lines out there that suggest that Jimmy G as an underdog um, and, and, and Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan together as underdogs, it's a good, good spot. The thing that I am sort of uh, uh, stuck on is, am I really going to fade Kansas city? I mean, all they did was lose to the best team in the NFL last week in a very spirited, awesome, very fun game coaches coaching the football game fearlessly going out there trying to win the game. So the spot is kind of funky. I, I, I don't like ever fading the chiefs, but I do like the position for the Niners. How are you sizing this sucker up with all of these new developments? Well, I don't know that Christian McCaffrey moves the needles that much for me in this particular game, though he doesn't hurt. Obviously they're going to, I think, use him in some red zone packages. And of course, I would definitely expect, um, you know, if Kyle can, he'll beat his chest a little bit and stick him out there and try to get him a touchdown and show him that, hey, I know what I'm doing here. And of course, Kyle's going to call great plays for Christian McCaffrey now and into the future. Um, I still need to see some of the secondary injuries for both teams because we got two teams that have multiple players in the secondary that have question marks around them. And I want to see which guys are up and which guys aren't. The Trent Williams thing is obviously a major factor here. He's been practicing. It's looking like he's trending in the right direction. So that would be big time as well. Um, and there's an outside chance that Mike McGlinchey is back as well, which would be huge too. So we'll have to see the overall health. I have not bet anything on this game yet. The over continues to take a little bit of money and is now up to 49 at some spots. Uh, as a result of this news, um, it was trending higher before a sharp group bet the over previously, but now um, this news is making it go further. Uh, again, I've done nothing on this game yet. I think I'm going to stay away from it my own self. I wondered about maybe a teaser leg kind of opportunity with San Francisco pushing pushing them up through um, key numbers, but I don't I don't like it as much as I like some other teaser legs uh, potentially. This week, this this card has a bunch of um, situational opportunities. It, it feels like one of those is the Jerry Jones Cialis game of the week. I, I apologize to uh, everybody. I'm I'm just on Dallas this season. I really like you know what, what they've done. I like the identity of the team. Uh, they are a team of interest to me, and especially any week where Jerry Jones is telling Robert Kraft to go fuck himself or fuck off or whatever. Yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. Dallas is laying seven at home. The total's 48 and a half. Detroit coming off of a bye week. Um, the Dak situation, they haven't affirmatively announced him, right? 
he just keeps practicing and they keep, you know, behaving like he's going to play, but they haven't officially announced that he's going to be the starter, have they? Well, breaking news, Mike McCarthy has a press conference right now. I'm watching Michael Gelkin, I believe it's pronounced, from the Dallas Cowboys media tweet out, yeah, everything looks like he's on track for that, was the quote, for starting this week against the Detroit Lions. So it's not 100%, but it's definitely looking like it's 99.9. The only question is, does the seven move to seven and a half? Dallas is at home, favored by seven against Detroit. Will that go to seven and a half? On the deck, it's a good. It's it's a good question. Here's the thing, this is the funny part about sports betting. The funny part about the odd screen, which I stare at every single waking moment. I'm up till 3 a.m. The fucking thing is, I'm still looking at it at that point in time. And I get up in the morning, and I turn it on, and I'm staring at this thing. I don't keep it on all night. Uh, I keep it on in the background, but I turn off the monitor because I got too many monitors. I'm definitely giving myself cancer from all it this. Doesn't shit. make noise, does it? I mean, you have to no, sleep, buddy. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make noise, but sometimes I'm just like falling asleep on the chair. There, I got couches in this room. I'm just like getting a couple of cat naps in and then I'm back to, to, to work. So I'll turn off the monitor if I'm doing that. Uh, and so the odds are still getting updated. Like I still get the, the black uh, box that turns from clear to red when a game moves and then turns to black after 15 seconds of it being at the new number. So I'm seeing all the new movement that's occurred when I go back to look at it first thing in the morning. Um, but I don't have it on like Kenny Roaster's uh, chicken sign, you know, all <laughs> night long, just the red, red glow of that fucking thing bearing down my eyes uh, like it was to Jerry Seinfeld when he traded rooms with uh, Cosmo Kramer. But at any rate, <laughs> this game, this, this game, um, we knew the DAC is going to play. Like, right. I don't think it was that big of a shock to anybody that Dak is going to play. And in fact, this number was on the look ahead, six and a half, moved to seven. And the preseason, the pre-flop number for this game back in June, tells you how good the odds makers are, I guess, the line was seven. Like, mm. And they were expecting Dak versus Jared Goff. Yeah. So to me, if this line goes from seven to seven and a half, as soon as Adam Schefter tweets out that Dak is going to play and then the fucking odd screen puts the little injury plus mark and turns that sucker red with a new alert that Dak is going to play. And then the rest of the market reacts. Oh my God, Dak's actually playing. And then they bet the thing to seven and a half. I think that's value on the Detroit Lions at that point. That's like, when we fire. That's when That's when at the peak of the market, if you like the Lions, that's when you fire. You don't go now. You do no. not go now. You don't go today. You wait until that happens because... Um, we all knew that Dak was going to be playing. I think the key question for me in this game is what are actually, what are we actually going to get out of Dak in terms of the strategy? Is he a hundred percent, like a hundred, hundred, hundred percent. And does that mean that he's going to, that they're going to call deep passes and that those passes are going to be just as accurate as they were before the injury? Is he going to have the entire playbook open to him and they're going to call everything just completely unchained and unfettered as if they would week one of the season? Or are they going to dial anything at all back, whether it's the depth, whether he's accuracy, whether who knows what, do they run the ball a tiny bit more? I don't really know what to expect from that from, from that side of things. I do like the fact that it appears we'll have to see that DeAndre Swift may be back. The O-line for the Lions is getting a little bit healthier. And we know the weakness of this Dallas Cowboys team is their run defense, and you want to run the football against them. So uh, that's exactly where you're going to try to attack the Dallas Cowboys. The key, though, is in order to do that, you have to have the game close. You have to have the game within reach, right? You can't be down by 13 points, 14 points, and then be trying to run the football here. It's just not going to get you back into the game quickly enough. So if the Lions can keep it close enough, I do think at seven and a half, that that's obviously the only direction that I would be looking. I'm in the exact same position as you. I'm looking intently for a seven and a half to pop up and then I'm jumping on the Lions. I like the situation for the Lions coming off of the bye week. After uh, losing in a shutout in the previous week, there's a bunch of trends that suggest the team's coming off of a shutout loss. Um, plus that extra rest, uh, you know, tend to, to play close, nice uh, against the spread. Numbers and Dallas coming in uh, off their tough Sunday night game, divisional game against Philadelphia. One thing that I, I want to uh, check in on really quickly, 
uh, your reaction to what we saw in that Dallas-Philadelphia game because you forecasted when we were talking it through a, a kind of game script that Dallas managed to um, you know, show us a resilience that I wasn't anticipating. And it, it really went the way that you kind of forecasted as we talked it through. I, I, was, I, I asked you last week, man, this is a lot of points for Dallas, five and a half, six, it looks like. Why are they getting all these points? Um, they've been playing everybody tough. Their defense is good. And what you said was, look, if Dallas gets behind, they're going to have a hard time coming back. And and they got down by by two scores. And, you know, Philly looked like they could have really taken them out to the deep water, the way Raheem the Dream Palmer likes to say, and drowned them. But to, to Dallas's credit, and again, this is like, you know, uh, uh, celebration of Kellen Moore. They got it within a field goal. Now Philly showed the class team that they are. They immediately, once it got to that that three point uh, difference, they went on a long sustained drive. They did run the ball very well on that drive. They put it back up to ten. But did you take anything away from the performance by especially uh, uh, Dallas in that situation? Yeah, the the issue with the Eagles, which is why I said they need to keep their foot on the gas pedal the whole game long, is because I don't know that I love the Eagles' defense. Everybody's talking about, like, the the Eagles are a very good team. They're one of these types of teams that you're going to sit here when it's playoff time, and you can come back and pull this audio, where you're going to want to bet these guys, but you're still going to have outside questions. Have they really been tested? by like somebody that's good caliber on both sides of the ball. And you're going to have questions, and especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like, their defense is balling right now. They're playing well, and they're having fun, and they're flying around the field, and they're looking great. But they they are prone to like letting a team back in the game. And so it's incumbent upon the offense to keep their foot on the gas a little bit more than it has. And it's only natural when you're up. 20 to nothing or 20 to three or whatever the scores are that you're going to kind of slow things down. You're not going to continue to call your A plus plays every single play and just burn through your absolute best plays all the time because that's not what any normal offense is looking to do here. You're at some point just saying, okay, we got this one in the bag. Let's fucking end this game. Let's just, let's just get out of dodge here. And you're trying to sustain a little bit more offense and you're trying to be a little bit more consistent and less explosive. Um, so that's a, like, I, I do have these concerns for the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously they're undefeated for good reason. They're the best team in the NFL and viewed that way as such. And I'm happy because it's great for the future's perspective, but um, it didn't shock me that Dallas had fight in this game and Dallas just didn't roll over and say, Oh fuck, we're down big. Let's just end this game. I mean, they were down big. It's pretty early in the game. A lot of time to get back into this thing. And then the Eagles play the defense that they do uh, and it let them back in. So it's 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 a little bit that I was like satisfied that Dallas didn't quit, but I never expected them to. A little bit that I was disappointed that the Eagles defense kind of goes and changes and plays a little bit different style that allows teams to kind of get back into the game and kind of resuscitate themselves. Like you, you want to, when you're frustrating an opposing offense and frustrating opposing quarterback, you just don't want them to get some momentum. And just because you're up big and then you start playing a defense that's going to like not allow explosives and sag off a little bit, it allows these quarterbacks at times who might start off the game rough to get some of these short completions and regain some confidence and get some first downs and then get a little bit of momentum going. And that's just kind of the style that Philly plays. Yeah. And I, I wanted to go down this path a little bit. I know it's a bye week for Philadelphia. We're not actually, you know, the only possibility of any action at all on, on Dallas Detroit is if, if Detroit jumps over a number, but I want to make sure that we've sort of have our heads in the right place going forward, especially with the Philadelphia team. And we look at the numbers that they're going to start having, um, you know, in, in this next third uh, of the season. Um, but, uh, Dak's back for Dallas. It's exciting. I know Jerry Jalis, Jerry Jones, two Cialis pills on, on Sunday with Dak back in the mix. So congratulations to them. Going right from Jerry Jones, Cialis into the Urban Meyer horny game of underdog game of of the week. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are getting five points um, out in Los Angeles against the Chargers. The total there is fifty, and the Chargers, Warren Sharp, continue to underperform on the offensive side of the ball. We continue to be very frustrated with 
their early down success rate, the play calling Joe Lombardi, uh, his name continues to show up in places that I'm sure Joe Lombardi would prefer not to have his name show up. The chargers are, are winning games, but they're missing. You know, speaking of injury luck, uh, big names on both sides of the ball, two offensive linemen out. Joey Bosa still out. Keenan Allen, Eventually, we'll come back and 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 uh, play some football. They the they've been doing limited practice this week. Uh, Herbert and J.C. Jackson both playing with injury, and you know the 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 Chargers early defensive DVOA early down defensive DVOA not very impressive. Seattle, on the other hand, has all these weapons. Geno Smith is balling. Pete Carroll and Geno Smith together. Very good uh, records as as underdogs. I like catching. You know, I, I don't. I'm not sure why there's sort of extra points built into this line um, for the Chargers. It feels like two and a half or three would have been enough. Give me a couple extra points. I'm on Seattle this week. I'm going to play them. Um, how are you sizing up this matchup? Pretty similar to you, and and so I hope that that means that you're on the right side here, and and you're taking a sharp view of this game because. Um, I like the Seahawks here as well. I think their defense is actually like it used to be the laughing stock the first month of the season as to how dog shit this defense was. But they have tweaked a few things and are playing a little bit better over the last couple of games. And uh, if, if that continues, it's not that this defense will become average, but this defense may not be like a bottom four to five defense. Yeah, it was the worst defense in the NFL going into that Arizona game. And then they had several meaningful stops, third down and fourth down stops, uh, and and really just handled uh, the, the, the Cardinals every which way. The game really wasn't that close. Yeah, and they've got, I mean, they've got new personnel there at all different levels. And so they're trying to figure out how to get these guys to play together. And they're trying to figure out the right combination of their DBs. And so I think that there are moving parts there and it's natural that it's going to, uh, kind of evolve over the course of the season. Uh, speaking of evolving, the Chargers continue to not be able to get after opposing quarterbacks. It's easy to talk about their offense. Let's talk about their defense for a second. You know, Since they lost Joey Bosa, this team has the third lowest pressure rate on early downs, and they don't blitz. They hardly ever blitz at all. So their defense that's sitting back and quarterbacks are having time to complete passes against them. You look at like even Russell Wilson. The guy has played one of the worst seasons from like a higher level quarterback that we've seen in recent memory, a quarterback that we expected. I I don't think even if you didn't like what Russ was doing in Seattle, you necessarily would have expected this level of performance over the course of the season for him here in Denver. And yet we are looking at a guy who was like 10 of 10 in the first half with a touchdown and some nice passes against this defense of the Los Angeles Chargers. They're not getting after the quarterback. And as good as Geno Smith is, top five in a lot of different metrics, he's even better when he's clean and not being pressured, as most quarterbacks are. So that's a positive. Then you look at this Chargers defense holistically, like big picture. This team, when they play a top half offense, they've allowed 38, 28, and 27 points. And we're talking about offenses that may not, you know, tickle you under bottoms down there with like the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns. I mean, yes, those are top 15 offenses. Yes, it's like Trevor Lawrence and Jacoby Brissett, but like those teams are top 15 offenses right now. Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs are in there too. The Chargers are allowing 38, 28, 27 points to these guys. When you play bottom half offenses like the Browns or the Texans or the Raiders, yeah, then they're holding those teams to like 16, 19, and 24 points. Well, the Seattle Seahawks, I know they have Geno Smith, He sort of falls into that other category of this is a very good offense and a very efficient offense backed by a quarterback who you would not ordinarily expect to be leading an offense that is this efficient, but such is the case. And that means I think that they probably are going to have a chance to score points. One of the best things that you're going to have. Okay, let's take it the reverse. What's one of the worst situations to go on the road with? There's like three elements to it to me. One you got a great home field advantage, like going on the road to a team that's like awesome at home with crowd noise or an environment that's hard to play in. That's difficult. Number two is you need to support your quarterback. You can't run the ball at all. You're going on the road against an outstanding run defense and your running game is not going to be able to do anything. 
Number three, now you got a quarterback without a run game to support him on the road and in a hostile environment with a lot of crowd noise, and you're going to have to drop back and pass the ball a lot. The pass rush is going to have extra uh, burst because of that crowd noise. You're going to be sitting there trying to pass the ball a lot, and that's probably not going to go well if you're going up against a team that has a good pass defense and can get after the quarterback. Well, what do the, the Chargers don't tick any one of those boxes off. Right. Their home field o, o advantage. For they're home, o for three. They, this team is three and seven ATS when they're not laying more than a touchdown at home since the stadium was built. They're only five and five in those games. And if you combine the LA Rams to the mix, because they share the same stadium, they've been playing here for going on two years now. Road teams playing in SoFi when they are not dogs of over a touchdown have won more games than they've lost. The road team has in SoFi and they're 13 and six ATS. So this home field absolutely stinks. It's actually beneficial for the road team. So chalk one up for them. Then we're going to get support from the ground game because the Chargers rank number 32 in yards per carry allowed on early down runs. They're giving up 5.8 yards per carry to opposing running backs. They allow a lot of yards before contact. Their EPA per play stinks. Their success rate stinks to opposing running backs. We've got a run game that's going to be there for the Seattle Seahawks that's going to be able to support Geno Smith. And then I already gave you the numbers for the pressure rates and those types of things that are going to not get you there for the Chargers. So I, I just think that the Seahawks offense is going to be able to do well enough here to cover whatever it is that the Chargers are going to put up. Can the Chargers offense put up with you? You mentioned all the issues, not going to dive deeper into them. We've talked about them ad nauseum, but like if the Chargers defense, uh, Chargers offense puts up 24, I think the Seahawks are covering this game. Chargers offense puts up 27. I think the Seahawks are covering 30 points. I think the Seahawks are covering like it's hard to name a score uh, that's somewhat realistic for this Chargers offense that I don't see the Th Seahawks covering. It, it would have to be upwards of upper 30s, maybe, where 38 to, to, to 30, something like that, where I could foresee the Chargers scoring enough points for the Seahawks offense against this Chargers defense not to cover the spread. Yeah, I mean, the, the Seahawks, Seahawks offense has been up for playing whichever way the opponent kind of permits. We've seen them in two shootouts, the two highest scoring games of the season, you know, notwithstanding last night was the Seahawks against the Saints and the Seahawks against Detroit. Uh, and both times, you know, Seahawks were, were, were right there. The thing that I also like about this game, Chargers coming off a short week, an overtime game against a division rival. I mean, I just love the situation for Seattle, uh, I'm jumping all in. I'm going to play both the 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 spread and the money line because you 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 hit on it. Um, team road teams go into L.A. and win. So let, let let's go ahead and try and, and cash a little bit, right? They've they've won more than they lost. And just a note to everybody who's listening out there: this is the strategy that you should take if you're if you're taking the Seahawks at plus six or this, it's come down now. Obviously, if you're taking the Seahawks and maybe you already bet at house, but if you're taking them at plus five, plus five and a half. You absolutely must, must, it's not even a question, must put a small percentage, 10%, 15%, something like that on the money line here. Because the, the odds that your dogs are going to cover spreads like this, but not win on the money line enough to make, to produce more profit for you to just bet the ATS and not touch the money line is wrong. They are going to produce enough profit where you're losing money. You're leaving money at the table. If you just take this dog plus four and a half and this dog plus five, and, and you never play the money line at all. I mean, we're literally seeing it, you know, th this whole season. Last week, week six, seven underdogs covered, six of them won straight, you know, straight up. Like that's what's happening this season. And that's definitely the way to play this. Now, we have to touch on some other sexy dog stuff uh, in the mix here. The New York Giants getting three points at Jacksonville. Um, I don't have any inclination for this game other than, you know, a lean on Jacksonville laying the points. What I wonder about um, in terms of action for me is the Giants as a potential uh, teaser leg. Um, the Jaguars two and four disappointing because they're not winning games that where, where they're, uh, you know, 
outplaying their their opposition. You know, they're out yarding, out net net differentialing on both sides of the ball. Um, their their opposition, but not you know cashing wins. You and Austin hit on this on the Wednesday show that you know don't be deceived by um, by by wins, um, especially at this this early stage of the season. The the uh, Giants defense still thirtieth in in DVOA, um, and you know the 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 Jacksonville squad remains a complete complete conundrum. Like who is Trevor Lawrence? Uh, where where is he in his relationship with Doug Peterson? Do they see the world the same way? When will they see the world the same way? Um, will Jacksonville get cooking against this Giants defense? Those are the questions. Well, those are big questions. Now, let's start with the fact that this is a spot that a lot of sharp bettors have circled because it's a great opportunity to fade what we just saw. It's a great opportunity to buy low. It's a great opportunity to sell high. Um, all those things are aligning here. The Jags should have more wins than they do. The Giants should have more losses than they do. The Giants just pulled victory from the jaws of defeat last week against the Ravens in a game they should have probably lost. And the Jags should have probably beat the Colts. And they ended up not only losing the game, but failing to cover the spread. It was absolutely absurd the way that that game went down. So for that reason, I can tell you that a lot of sharp guys have circled the Jaguars. They circled it as soon as the Jags lost the game last week and the Giants won. Like, we are taking the Jaguars. This is an outstanding spot, one of the few spots on the year where you're going to run into something like this. Okay. It makes sense. I get it. However, I have a degree of trepidation. Mm. And the degree of trepidation relates to the matchup, which yeah. cannot be ignored as well. And here is the problem with this matchup. Trevor Lawrence stinks against two major things. Pressure and teams that blitz and use man coverage behind it. Uh -oh. And this is exactly what the Giants major in. So Trevor Lawrence is the number four most sensitive quarterback to pressure in the NFL. When he's pressured, he's minus 0.51 EPA per attempt. When he's not pressured, he's plus 0.19. Massive splits, pressure versus not, fourth most sensitive guy to it. And the Giants record the fourth highest pressure rate in the NFL. Boom, that is a problem. If you look at Trevor Lawrence, it makes a ton of sense when he went up against a team like the Indianapolis Colts that has a below average pressure rate. He looks like a stud. When he goes up against the Chargers in a game where they lost Joey Bosa in the first quarter and ranked number three worst in the pressure in pressure rate, we just talked about it. He looks good. But when he went up against Washington, he struggled. And then in the rain against the Eagles, he struggled. And the Texans game, that's a little different. They played a shitload. They played like 81% too high after doing it only like 40% on the year and, and just really confused the Jaguars' uh, passing attack. But so throw the, that game out to the side. Now let's talk about blitzing and man coverage real quick. Rich Rebar had these great nuggets for us uh, that Trevor Lawrence against the Colts completed 45 of 52 passes. That's absurd. 45 That's of 52. And three passing touchdowns and ridiculous yards per attempt. But against everyone else this season, he's completed only 58% of his passes, 6.6 .6 yards per attempt. Now against the Blitz. Against the Blitz, the Giants Blitz at the number one highest rate in the NFL. And they play man coverage at the number two highest rate in the NFL. And Trevor Lawrence does not throw the ball deep against the Blitz. He averages just 5.3 air yards per attempt, which is 31st in the NFL. And when teams Blitz and play man coverage behind it, I'm not talking air yards. I'm Now I'm talking about yards per pass attempt. He averages just 3.6 yards per pass attempt when teams blitz and play man coverage behind it. He's at 9.2 when you blitz and play zone. Giants don't do that. Giants blitz and play man. So those are the things that really concern me about Trevor Lawrence in this game is the fact that if he has to pass the ball here and Wink is playing this style that more teams used to be sort of Wink-ish. Nobody was as crazy and as absurd to the rate that Wink is defensively in terms of the rate that they just have to stick their corners out on islands, play man because they're sending pressure. But more teams used to play. Now most teams are playing zone. Most teams are playing too high. So quarterbacks are used to kind of like dinking and dunking and working the ball underneath against these types of defenses and they know what to expect and they can see it a little bit easier. When you play a defense like Winks, like it's just a shock to your system. You're not used to dealing with this and most teams that you face don't play that style. The other side of the ball, therefore, is vital. Do the Giants get out to a lead? Can the Giants force Trevor to pass the ball? Because if they can't, the Jaguars are going to have a ton of success running the ball here, House. The Jaguars 
Rushing offense is good. Travis Etienne has been dominant. Mm -hmm. And like last week, the Ravens running backs averaged eight yards per carry on early downs. They're going to be able to run the football. The Jaguars are against this Giants run defense, which is pretty terrible. Um, They're allowing 5.5 yards per carry to opposing running backs, which is 30th in the NFL and allowing gains of 10 plus yards on nearly 17% of carries, which is second worst in the NFL. So the Giants got to get out faster something the Giants have not done at all this season. The Giants are like a fourth quarter team, a second half team. They're coming from behind. So trust me, the Giants are aware of this. Trust me that the Giants are not dumb and they're not sitting here like scratching their heads like, well, let's just keep rallying our troops late in the game. Let's go, guys. And Brian Dable's not coming in the locker room after the game and saying, you know, he might say stuff after the game like, way to hang in there, never quit. We've always, we're always going to be able to come back in these games. But Sunday night in the meetings and Monday morning at the facility, they're absolutely trying to figure out, we know this isn't sustainable. We know we're not going to keep coming back in these games. How can we get our offense jumpstarted? How can we start faster? Because there's no way we're going to keep scoring 14 fourth quarter points to win these games by two points or four points or three points. So, you know, I'm interested to see what they end up doing here. Can they get started a little bit faster against the Jaguars? And can they force the Jags then to not run as much late in the game? And can they force Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball into this defense? It's a tough game for me from that respect. If I was just a, a simple handicapper, if I was just a guy who didn't care about the actual matchups or the underlying data, and I just saw this spot, like a lot of other guys did on Sunday, I would just Jags, Jags minus two and a half or Jags minus three, and it would be very easy. But because I'm digging so deep into this thing, there are enough concerns to me, for me personally, to not have a dog in the fight from a side perspective here. Well, let me um, ask you, and this was the lead in the way that I, as I was building out, you know, the research for this, any interest in the Giants as a teaser leg? The total is low. It's a 42 and a half point uh, total last when I checked earlier this morning. And the, the notion is that Jacksonville would have to win by two scores. If you tease, uh, you, whether it's two and a half or three, you're teasing the Giants, you know, through eight and, and up to nine, potentially. Is there any value in the Giants as a teaser like? I mean, I think that there theoretically is. Uh, it's not the number one teaser leg I'd be looking at because for most books, this line is a solid three. So yeah. you're better off typically just taking the Giants plus the three than you are trying to work them into a teaser and then have to win the other leg as well. Also, we've seen the total rise from 41 and a half, 42 up to 43, okay. indicating that there could be some opportunity for Jacksonville to be productive on the ground running the ball. And then if the Giants can start off faster than they normally do, then that's going to be more points that they've got on the scoreboard and could make this game a little bit more competitive. I was shocked when I was looking at the numbers about Daniel Jones standing in there under pressure. Daniel Jones willing to take the hits and get rid of the ball. And and he's completing over 70% of his passes for two straight weeks now. Like he's been doing a lot. Um, I just wonder like, they're putting so much on Saquon Barkley. It's a foreign concept to Kafka and to Dayball because they're used to having the fucking stud quarterback, Patrick yeah. Mahomes, Josh Allen, fling the ball around. What are we going to do the first two series of the game? Well, we're going to get our best player of the ball. That's our quarterback. Just let him distribute. Let's let him throw the ball down the field. Explosive play here. Uh, play action this. You know, creative plays over there. And now your best player is a running back. So there's been a learning process for both of these guys. It's like, well, we want to get our best player of the ball, but like we're getting our best player the ball a lot in the first half. And then we're just trailing because calling a lot of run plays to start games isn't necessarily the way to jump out to big leads. I think studying the Tennessee Titans could be a little bit of an instructive for these guys because the Titans are scoring 85% of their points in the first half. They've, they're built on the run game. They've got Derrick Henry, but yet they're dialing up enough, enough creativity into their offense that they're using it to jump out to, to leads in these games And just because you have a running back who's your best player does not mean that you can't score early. So I'm excited to see what they do, not just this week, but over the next couple weeks. And can they get this offense jump started? But that was a long winded way of saying, no, I don't love it in a teaser. (laughs) But if if, if you want to take it, like, I don't think the Giants are getting blown out here. Um, But it, uh, it's not my favorite teaser like this. It's week. not mine, mine either. But it's it just as curious. I like seeing you know the, with the, with the five and one, and people will be plowing in. It feels like uh, on the Giants, be like their Vegas is begging people to take the Giants. My favorite te- teaser leg of the week 
is Monday Night Football. It's the Patriots laying seven and a half at home against the Bears. This feels like the America's teaser leg, which, you know, I guess is something that we should all be careful with. Because if it seems as obvious as it seems to 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 folks like me, then for sure, you know, there's there's lots of potential for it to go wrong. Seven and a half at home against the Bears. The total is 39 and a half. And, you know, you really have to come up with some version of the Chicago Bears becoming more than one dimensional. Justin Fields doing something different than what we've seen him do really for his entire career. And you have to believe that Bill Belichick will not be prepared in some manner to talk yourself into taking the the, the bears. Um, And, and, you know, really this, the, the tease is, is seven and a half down to uh, one and a half. So you're, you're, you're on the Patriots, you know, to, to, to win this thing. Um, I don't, the line's not going to move underneath of, of uh, seven. So I, and I don't have any interest in laying more than a touchdown um, under these circumstances, but you know, I, I also don't want to spend a lot of time talking about what the bears can do against this um, really uh, rounding into form Patriots defense. How, how are you looking at this one? I'll just say two quick things. Number one, it is a great teaser. Like in my opinion, those haven't gone super well this season in terms of the long teasers, but it is a great teaser leg. Uh, and the second thing is, I am expecting, and this is going to be music to Bill Simmons' ears, uh, but I've already texted him about it. The Patriots, you're going to start, we're going to start really talking about this Patriots team as like, whoa, what are the Patriots putting together here, in my opinion? And it's entirely because of this defense and the way that they're going to start performing over the next month of the season. They have played the number one toughest schedule of opposing offenses in the NFL to date. They have played five of their six games against top 10 offenses this year only one game did they play somebody that's not a top 10 offense now you're going up against number 30 chicago you're going to be going up against the 23rd jets offense for two games in your next four and you're playing the number 31 indianapolis colts offense in that mix as well and oh by the way later on the season you got games against below average offenses of the cardinals and the uh 40 uh, sorry the uh raiders and the cincinnati Bengals. this defense of the Patriots is already playing pretty good. They are going to start to look really good on the screen as well. And I fully expect the New England Patriots defense to show up and show out here. I think they make for a great teaser like. Well, then let's go ahead and pair them. We've we've been hitting our sensible teaser for sensible people. People, We hit it last week. We had Jacksonville getting uh, eight or eight and a half and Seattle getting eight. Both of those came through last week. This week, I want to put the Patriots with the Colts. Now you mentioned Tennessee and Tennessee's first half offensive prowess. The way that I'm going to bet that Indianapolis Tennessee game is the Tennessee first half, whatever they're going to lay. I'm going to play the spread and the money line on Tennessee, but this is a very rich, you know, divisional matchup. If Tennessee wins, they are in the the pole position to win the AFC South, notwithstanding, uh, you know, whatever comes with, with, with Jacksonville, Tennessee with two wins, it would be over the Colts. The Colts are, we're at that point in the season now where the Colts finally start to figure some stuff out. Jonathan Taylor, it seems like is coming back. Um, but I don't like, uh, situationally going against Tennessee Vrabel with rest and, and Vrabel and Tannehill together, uh, with, with, with rest coming off of bye by week, they have great, um, numbers covering the spread. Um, I like the idea of getting, you know, two scores out of the Colts. I think this is going to be a tight game. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a one score game. So that's my preferred teaser leg is the Colts up to eight and a half, uh, or nine, depending on wherever the number is at the moment. You want to, um, talk a little bit about that Tennessee and Indianapolis game? Uh, not too much. I think you're, you've got a good teaser leg there as well. I think it makes a lot of sense moving through the three and the seven, uh, strategically it's the smart play. And I know that a lot of other people are on that teaser leg as well. Uh, the teams that are the teams in this series that are road underdogs have done extremely well, especially in the second game of the series. So, um, you know, the, the, the Colts, Got to hand it to them in their building. Now the Colts have to come back and return the favor down here. This is generally when Frank Reich picks things up. I know that they have a tough time uh, handling the Tennessee Titans, even though that 
<laughs> and so funny, like the Titans offense does not seem nearly as diverse. Like they've got a little creativity to them and they're good inside of the red zone. But it seems like if you've played these guys a lot in division, you should know what to get out of them. And yet I don't understand how the Indianapolis Colts and Frank Reich, who I think overall is a good coach, but he's challenged my thoughts on that. Uh, trust me over the last couple of years. Like, I, I just don't understand how they don't play the Tennessee Titans better. And the Titans have had a lot of success against these guys, but I do not see a lopsided victory by either team here. So I think the Colts make sense in a teaser. Okay, well, let's see what the public um, has for us. You tweeted out at the top of the show to all of our um, betting buddies out there to come up with something. Uh, our, our, our bit now through the season is we are looking for suggestions from from um, the folks that listen and I will choose one and fire on it and and give a shout out to whoever suggests it um do you have the the roster of, of yeah, tweets so in front I'm of gonna, you I'm gonna roll through these and again you guys if you're listening to the ringer gambling show which I don't know why you're not because you're losing money if you don't but you're obviously here so you're listening so you're smart um you could tweet me when I post this house will quote tweet it and share some of your bets. I'm going to read through some of them house and then I'll let you know uh, who ends up being the guy that you're going to select. Uh, we got the Lions plus the seven. We've talked about that game. Got the Seahawks over 50 and a half against the Chargers. The Houston Texans covering seven against the Raiders. Uh, another one looking at the Seahawks scoring, scoring over 10 and a half points in the first half. Uh, we got a teaser idea. The Jets up to the New England Patriots down. You already said you like the Patriots side of that. Washington plus four and a half. Regardless of whether you pick this game or not, I want to know your quick thoughts on that for a minute. Um, another teaser, this time the Bengals-Ravens teaser, a little AFC North teaser. Mm. Um, Jets and Giants to win in New York parlay. So Giants to upset. I know you're not going to like that because you like the Jags. Uh, we got a prop here, Romeo Dobbs over 42 and a half yards. Um, Bengals minus six or six and a half. Jets on the money line against the Broncos. The Niners catching two points against the Chiefs. Um, and uh, here's one. Joe House over five and a half cocktails consumed minus 160. That's the winner. That's a lock. But we so don't have lock, to give that we out. We got to do it. Everybody already style. knows that. Um What's Any your, of those excite you? What's your board show right now for um, Cincinnati and Baltimore? That that's kind of that tease is you know a little bit intriguing. So Baltimore to me. is six and a half. Cincinnati is six and a half. So you okay, get them so both to half to, a point. To a half. And and what I like about that potentially is Baltimore after you know another excruciating giveaway at the end of a game. I mean, I just can't tolerate it. It was my favorite bet of the week was them against the Giants uh, last week. And and the mistake by Lamar at the end of that game is just so unforgivable. But you know, they they've been inventing ways to lose. Cincinnati looked like looks like they're riding the 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 ship. Um, and I like the possibility of regression for Atlanta. Atlanta has been so spunky. Like there's a a, a real uh, uh, uh rationale for playing Atlanta to win that division. I mean, I think I don't know what the odds are. Uh, right, right, the second, but the Atlanta to win the NFC South um, is is definitely like worth a look. They have a, a, a favorable schedule through the balance of the year because of how bad they were um, this year. But just situationally, I like the idea of Cincinnati at home. Atlanta can't really, uh, or at least thus far, hasn't demonstrated the ability to create much in the way of pass rush. And what we know about about Joey Burrow is he loves to stand back there and just pick his guys and have some opportunity to chuck the rock around a little bit. That one might be my thing. I, I swore off Baltimore after what they did to me last week, um, but here I am. That 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 one um, is kind of intriguing to me. The AFC okay. North, you know, tough guy, battle it out. You know, the black and blue bruiser division. Let's go ahead and jump on that one. All right, so that's from Jordan Taylor is on Twitter at 23 Jordan Taylor House is riding with your bet. And let's hope that you come through for him because he's putting some of his money on that. Uh, and that's what we like about you guys suggesting things is giving House new ideas and he's going to pick one every single week. So keep it up for next week as well. House, real quick, want to ask you, 
Washington against Green Bay. Any quick thoughts there? Well, you said new ideas. I honestly think it's a good situation for Washington. I think that Taylor Heineke um, with uh, uh, Scott Turner, this is a very comfortable relationship. And the, the, the amount of weapons that Washington has on the offensive side of the ball, because of who Carson Wentz is and because of the lack of familiarity between Turner and Wentz, we really haven't seen that Washington offense get cooking, you know, the way that, that in, as you, uh, you sort of looked at the season coming in, um, that, that, that they might have. Um, and Wentz has done a lot of Wentz things. Brian Robinson is a revelation. Um, and the Packers defense rush defense is horrendous, notwithstanding their own preseason hype that they all believed. So I think it's not a terrible spot for the C words. Uh, uh, I don't think that I'm, I'm prepared to call an out, out outright win for them, but I like the number of points that they're getting. Um, the, the, the Packers look lost to me and I, I don't know, you know, uh, 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 Aaron Rodgers is talking about we need to simplify, and Lafleur is coming up, coming right behind him, saying, "I don't know what what it, there is to simplify." Yeah. Washington's been uh, very good pass rush wise, and uh, last week the amount of pressure that the Jets put on Aaron Rodgers, he was uncomfortable with it. I think Washington ha- has the ability to mount that same pressure. I kind of like Washington. I'm sorry to say it. Okay, good. Good. That helps me in my thought process as well for that game, which I have not fired on, but was. Uh was looking into it. Um, let me throw one out there that I really like. I, I already talked about, I, I'm, I'm on board with you with the Seahawks, but let me throw one out there to the people before we sign off here today, House. Um, I like the over in this Pittsburgh Steelers, Miami Dolphins game, and it could be a little scary because of the way that both of these offenses have been performing, but I do want people to pay note to the fact that, and I'm going to record a video for this later today, mm. the, the, the Miami Dolphins offense ranks Number six in the NFL, despite playing the number three most difficult schedule of opposing defenses. Now, that alone should be like shocking. Like, how could a team playing the third most difficult schedule of opposing defenses rank number six offensively and number five when passing the football? But it becomes even more mind blowing when you think that the last three weeks, this team, not only were they without their number one quarterback. But the number two quarterback that was then going to start that game, he also gets injured in consecutive weeks. Uh, and so the, the, the next guy up is forced to go in there. The third stringer that week is forced to go in the game. It's been insane. And yet they were up over the Bengals in the fourth quarter of that game. I know they lost, but they were up. They were down by only two points against the Jets with 10 minutes to go in that game. And I know that they lost, but that was the score at that point in time. And against the Minnesota Vikings, they're down by only six points driving with the football at the 20-yard line to score a touchdown to potentially win that game. And they ended up fumbling the ball. And two plays later, Dalvin Cook runs for over 50 yards and scores a touchdown and makes the game look a lot more lopsided. In the games that Tua has played, he's done nothing but play three top 10 pass defenses. The Bills, the Patriots, and the Baltimore Ravens. And he got knocked out against another top 10 pass defense of the Cincinnati Bengals. Then you go to the other side of the ball, you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. This team has played the number two most difficult schedule of pass defenses in the NFL. The two games that Kenny Pickett was starting, number five, Buffalo Bills, number four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now he's playing the number 31 Miami Dolphins pass defense, which is hurting at the cornerback position and maybe without one of their pass rushers as well. Um, I also, any game like this, you're, you're going to need the Steelers to score here. You're going to need the dog to score a little bit. What does the Miami Dolphins offense do? Sorry, defense do. They blitz you and they play a lot of man. Look at the splits for Kenny Pickett against the blitz this year. Look at the splits for Kenny Pickett against man coverage this year. He's way better against man than zone. He's way better against the blitz than when not being blitzed. So he's doing really well against those two things. I think both of these teams combined for enough points here. I do worry a little bit about Brian Flores' element because he's now coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense and he's familiar with Miami Dolphins. But the one thing that I like about it is the offense for the Dolphins is completely different than the offense that he was there when my that Miami was running. and. The Miami defense is exactly the same. Like the the personnel and the coaching is identical on that side of the ball. So he's intimately familiar with what they do and when they like to blitz and what some of their reads are. And if a quarterback does this or this situation, expect this to happen. And so he's might have been able to help the Steelers offense better prepare to score some points against 
his defense that he's coached for years down there. So um, I like the over and I, I took that actually while we were on the podcast on the Zoom, I was I, I took this game. So you 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 sure did. George Pickens playing, right? Confirmed. Kenny Pickett. Oh, I'm sorry, Kenny Pickett. George Kenny Pickens Pickett. Was Kenny Pickett is cleared <laughs> from the concussion protocol. Uh, he is up. It's shocking. I think out of like 40 guys who've had a concussion, only three have played the next week, and none actually returned to practice on a Wednesday. Kenny Pickett returned and practiced in full on Wednesday. So, and now he's completely out of the protocol. I don't know what the hell is going on with this concussion protocol, but for this week, I'm glad because I I, I like the over here. Pickett to Pickens. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm, it's well, a good I'm gonna join you. I'm gonna join you on that one. That's a great, great show for week seven. How about it, Warren Sharp? I th- I think so. And 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 I appreciate everybody listening. Again, follow us on, on Twitter and you can send in some uh tweets. Uh house is at house from DC. I'm at Sharp Football. The Ringer Gambling Show is going to be back on Sunday. Of course, you got to be tuning in for that when Raheem shares his top five picks for Sunday's games. And we'll continue to have more NBA and Major League Baseball all next week and throughout the rest of the season. Thanks to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargron and Steve Cerruti for producing this episode. Good luck this weekend.